Hello, I'm Kendra Winchester here with Samaya Nassim, and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And this is episode 63, where we are talking about books around the theme Ramadan reading. Uh, this this theme has been in the works for a while now. Yeah, it was the first one that I actually picked uh, when I was coming up with themes. Yeah, and I was very excited. We just like threw ourselves into this project. <laughs> Started reading all of the things. Yes, and it's been <laughs> exciting so far. We've discovered some amazing books. Yes, definitely. Uh, so before we head into our picks for this month, uh, first, the news. Uh, so we just have two highlights that we wanted to talk about today. Uh, we'll be talking about more from the Stella Prize and the Women's Prize for Fiction uh, next month when they announce more of their items. But Therese Marie Myatt won the Whiting Award which is a prestigious prize and it has a, a large cash prize attached to it. So she'll be able to use that to continue to make her art, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's amazing. Congratulations to the winner. <laughs> yeah, she wrote Heartberries and uh, it was on our shortlist this year, this past year. Yes, I remember. And I've been wanting to read that. So now I'm going to bump it up on my list. And then the other prize that we want to talk about is one of my favorites, which is the National Book Critics Circle Award. And this is a series of awards that I personally view as like the writer's writers. Mm -hmm. So people who really push the craft of writing in a certain way. And if you are a writer or you love literature in that really intense way, yeah. um, I think people would love this. There's so many great ones on this list, uh, I, but I thought it was interesting that Anna Burns' Milkman, which won the Man Booker Prize last year, uh, won this prize as well. I've actually heard a lot of interesting things about Milkman. Have you read it? I haven't, but it was also long listed for the Women's Prize for Fiction, so obviously yes. it's one that I need to pick up. Definitely, and yeah, definitely, I want to read that as well. So many great books. So many great books. Yes. Uh, so we will link those awards down in the show notes. So you guys can go check out all of the different winners. Uh, that includes They're There by Tommy Orange, uh, Zadie Smith's Feel Free, and just a bunch of other great titles that, uh, you know, they really have a great eye for books. And that's one of the reasons why I really love this award. And yeah, so go check that out. And uh I guess it's time to get into all of our selections for uh, this month. But uh, first, I wanted to ask you, Samaya, what really drew you to this theme? Uh, so uh, as someone who's Muslim, uh, Ramadan is really important to me because it's the holy month in the Islamic calendar. And during this month, we fast from dawn to dusk for 30 days. Uh, but, you know, denying ourselves food and drink is not really about staying hungry until we can eat again. It's more of a spiritual and mental exercise that urges our awareness of the most basic blessings from God. This is a month during which we become more aware of our spirituality and connection to God and especially reflect on ourselves and try to improve from within. Now, the reason I picked this as a theme is because Ramadan actually commemorates the first revelation of the Quran to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. So it's a month during which we try to spend more time on reflecting on the meaning behind the verses of the Quran. So reading is an activity that is very essential during Ramadan and it's, it is encouraged in our religion. So my hope for this month's theme was to channel the, that spirit of reflection that Muslims engage in during Ramadan towards books written by Muslim women 
to sort of highlight these narratives and also celebrate Ramadan in this way. Uh, so each of the books that we will be discussing is an example of Muslim women doing powerful work with words. You know, I, I didn't know that about books in, in Ramadan. And Ramadan is in May this year? Yes, so it's in May, and I will be having exams this that month in May. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really looking forward to it. <laughs> so I'm really excited to talk about all of these great books. And yeah, so Sumaya, you have the first pick. Yes, yeah, so the first book that we have for this episode is It's Not About the Burqa, and this book is published by Picador in the UK. It's also available on Book Depository, and I think, Kendra, you listened to the audiobook. Yes, yes, I did. And uh, I believe the different writers of the essays actually narrate their own essays. Oh, that's brilliant. I had no idea. So now I'm going to actually listen to the audiobook the second time I want to revisit this book, basically. To put it briefly, this book is a nonfiction. It's a collection of essays, each written by a Muslim woman who lives in the West. So it is giving you that Western uh, perspective of, of being a Muslim woman. So some of the issues covered are mental health, faith, feminism, media representation, the of being divorced, and the hijab. So Maryam Khan is the editor of the book. She is a British activist of Pakistani heritage. Uh, she's actually my age, so <laughs> really, really accomplished at such a young age. And, you know, by saying that, I'm basically calling myself young. <laughs> Essentially, by maximizing the voices of Muslim women, this book attempts to break down the lazy stereotyping that tells you Muslim women are traditionally submissive and oppressed. So this also explains the title, that it's not about the burqa. Yeah, and when you talk, started talking about this book, um, I was like, well, obviously I need to read that as well. I really appreciate the wide range of women. There are just women of all different types. And one of the great things about this book is... Well, one, the har- the naked hardback is gorgeous. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Because it's a pa- paintings of all the different uh, authors of the different essays on it. And I think like it's a visual representation of how diverse Muslim women are. Exactly. Like I, I truly appreciate the way that this book was approached. So instead of writing a counter narrative entirely on her own, Mariam created a space for several Muslim women to share their stories in their own words. The result of that intention is this incredible book, you know, in which Muslim women are talking about issues that are personal, but also reflective of a larger Muslim experience. So, for example, one of the essays I really appreciated was Jamila Hekmoon's There's No Such Thing as a Depressed Muslim. In this essay, Jamila talks about her own mental health struggles and ties it to the problematic viewpoint that if you are depressed, that means you're not praying enough. And that is a definite concern in many religious communities, you know, not just in the Muslim community, but generally. Yeah, definitely. And coming from a Christian background, that's also a huge issue as well in the discussion of mental health. And so I really connected with that essay as well and her talking about, you know, the intersection of her mental health and her faith. Yeah, it's it's something I think we all go through at some point. Like, you know, I've personally experienced it. I know so many people in my life who you know, feel really, uh, you know, depressed. And they're like, I I feel so low, but it doesn't mean that I'm ungrateful. And, you know, women in our community are often told that, oh, you shouldn't be ungrateful because, you know, you're going to go to hell if you are ungrateful. So it, it really builds that negative association of being 
depressed or going through a mental health issue and then also feeling like you are not practicing your religion right so it's it's a lot of responsibility and it's a lot of stress you know i think that goes to show just really the passion that these women writers have for these topics in their communities because each one deals with something a little different and really gives voice to their own perspective and the perspective of Muslim women from their experience. And I think it's just a great selection. And and for me, as a person who does not come from a Muslim background, I find it a great starting place because then you can go look up these writers' other works and hear even more of their writing and different on different topics. Yes, definitely. And it also, uh, you know, combats that singular image that has now been created, the stereotype that Muslim women are oppressed and, you know, they are not in control of their own narratives. And this book tells you different. This book shows you that Muslim women come from so many different backgrounds, like you mentioned, you know, different professions. You have entrepreneurs, you have a mechanical engineer, you have a trainee solicitor, uh, you have journalists, writers, poets, teachers, you know, a variety of occupations are represented. And the collective message here is that we are Muslim, we are hardworking, we have projects that we are passionate about, we have struggles we are fighting, but most importantly, we each have a voice, you know, we are in control of our narrative. And, you know, I do not think that Maryam Khan, like when she started working on this book, on this collection, I don't think she had to make any special effort to collect different or diverse voices. I'm sure it was a very natural process uh, because it's a reflection of just how diverse the Muslim community is, especially in the West, where people migrate from all over the world. And as a result of this, the topics in this book are also very diverse. You know, the voices that we have in this collection, they're not the ones you normally hear in the media discourse about Muslim women. And that that discourse is largely controlled by people who are not usually Muslim or even female. Um, the world is constantly told that Muslim women are oppressed, too beaten down to take a stand, and that Muslim women are willingly submissive to men. Um, and, you know, Afia Ahmed, in her essay, The Clothes of My Faith, which is included in this collection, she says, I worry that we have contributed to this dichotomy of the fashionable, modern, liberal Muslim woman versus a supposedly regressive, traditional, conservative Muslim woman. So the fact is, and this is what the book tries to address, uh, most Muslim women come from somewhere in the middle. And is it is impossible to create a single definition of who a Muslim woman is or what she looks like or uh, what she spends her life doing. Yeah, I I can't really, I can't really add anything. <laughs> <laughs> um. Just nodding along, like, oh, oh just <laughs> preach, preach smile. <laughs> so that was It's Not About the Burqa, edited by Mariam Khan, published by Picador in the UK. So Kendra, what have you selected for us today? So I think it'll be no surprise to everyone that I picked a book by G. Willow Wilson, um, because I'm obsessed with Ms. Marvel. Oh, yes, I found out about <laughs> that comic web series and I was just like, oh my God, why do I not have this in my life? <laughs> you know, I saw a Kamala Khan like outfit at Target and you can dress up like little girls can dress up like Kamala Khan in like the swimming costume and <laughs> and the scarf and the it was it was amazing. But that's not the book I'm here to talk about today. <laughs> Though I do highly recommend it. Um today I'm gonna be talking about the Bird King. Uh, which is out from Grove here in the United States. And it just came out in March. And it is about Fatima at the end of Moorish Spain uh, at the 
basically uh, kingdom is ending, they're under siege, and Fatima is a young woman. Uh, she's a concubine to the sultan, and she is considered a slave. And she really wants something else for her life. And what I found very interesting was in early on in the book, the sultan makes the speech about why the, the Catholic government is coming down on them. And he says it's because we're so accepting of all these different types of people. We allow differences that they abhor. And he's saying this to his slave concubine woman. And she is just so frustrated because he did not include her in any of this discussion. He has no clue why she's mad about being a slave. He's like, you have everything you could ever want. And he says, what else would you want? And she says, to be sultan. <laughs> That's incredible. And, you know, he because she's a slave concubine, like he probably does not even consider her to be a person like that's why he's not factoring her in in the way that he views their community, you know, exactly. Yeah. And so when the Inquisition arrives to make this peace treaty, uh, they decide that Hassan, who is her best friend, he is a gay cartographer. Um, and so he is on the outs, obviously, because he does he does love men. And so she and Hassan uh, run away, essentially, because they the peace treaty says that they can kill Hassan. And it's because Hassan has this like magical power to change the world around him by mapping it. Oh, wow. And so they say that he is a sorcerer. And so they, you know, the Inquisition wants him to torture him and kill him, essentially. And so they run off. And that's where the adventure starts. And I don't want to say anything else about where it goes. But what I did really love about it was that a faith plays a huge part of the entire story. Mm -hmm. And that's amazing. The question of faith and, and who loves God. And you have Hassan who being, you know, gay feels on the outs and that he struggles, you know, he's also struggles with an addiction sort of to alcohol and all these different things. But faith and prayer are a huge part of his life. And then you have the Spanish, you know, Inquisition, they're Catholics, and they say they have like monopoly on worshiping God and just that tension between those two things. And that is, that is really well done throughout the book. That is incredible. Honestly, that book sounds so good. Like, I, I don't think I've read anything like it. It is a great story. It's a great adventure story, but also I feel like in many ways it felt like a religious allegory. Mm -hmm. I've never read any sort of like Muslim religious allegory, but I felt like this is definitely could fall into that category because it felt like it was teaching you something. And oftentimes elements of the fantastical are just so out there because it is a religious allegory, if that makes sense. Yes, completely. Yeah. So like when you say it's a religious allegory, like how exactly is that represented in the book? Well, I feel like because it has those elements, I would say it's not strictly one because it's not like this thing means exactly mm -hmm. this thing or whatever. Right. But it is saying a lot about faith and different birds um, represent different things in the book and who is the bird mm -hmm. king and the character's really internal struggle with their own faith are represented mm -hmm. by physical objects outside them. That is brilliant. And, you know, I'm definitely getting a copy soon and going to be reading this. Um, also because, you know, I think we've talked about this and I think the struggle with faith is one of the things that we need to see more representation of, especially in Muslim uh, literature. Yeah, I definitely think so. And there's 
you know, when you were talking about the books for today, you really wanted to focus on books that had a focus on different on faith and the characters' interaction with their own mm-hmm. faith. And this definitely is like the center of that wheelhouse because every character is imperfect and coming to realize that God still loves them. What I find incredible is that, you know, especially with Muslim representation, you have so many different kinds of image of who the Muslim person is. Like if you look at the community, it is so diverse. But the thing that unifies us all is that faith and, you know, the faith, the struggle with our faith. Yeah, I think that shows also the sense of equality that we are all imperfect people. I feel like even if you don't practice any particular religion that you still enjoy this book because it is about humanity and friendship and the love between people. Yeah, it sounds like a great adventure story as well. It it definitely is. It made me think about one of our picks coming up that you're going to talk about because it's set during the same time period. Yes. Um, So that was The Bird King by G. Billy Wilson, and that is out from Grove Press. And Asmaya, you have our next pick, which is, in fact, one of our discussion books. Yes, so my second pick, which we will discuss at length in the next episode, is The Moore's Account by Leila Lalimi. It was published five years ago by Pantheon in the U.S., It was a fiction finalist for the Pulitzer Prize in 2015. So this is a heavyweight novel if you're looking for diverse historical fiction. Uh, This novel is written in the style of a memoir and travelogue set in the midst of the Spanish conquest of South America. The narrator is Mustafa Al-Zamuri, a black Muslim Moroccan man who was on the Narvaez expedition as the slave of a Spanish explorer. Mustafa, also known by his slave name as Benico, is the first flag explorer of America, and he ends up being one of the four survivors of that expedition. So this novel, as his memoir, reveals the details of what happened during his journey across America and also how he got there. The four survivors of the expedition, um, one of them, as we know, was Mustafa Al-Zamuri, and that's his fictional name. It's the name that Lalami gave him when she wrote this book. In the original accounts, he is only referred to as uh, the Moor or the slave or the black uh, the black man. What's interesting is Kaviza Diwaka, who is a character in this novel, was one of the four survivors, and uh, him, along with the other two Spanish survivors, were asked to give their account of what happened in in front of an official gathering. Like they were asked to talk about what happened to them. Mustafa Zamuri or the black slave who was also one of the survivors and essentially the first black explorer of America was not asked to give his version of the events. And basically he was silenced, even though he was a survivor, his voice was silenced because he was a slave and he was deliberately cut out of the narrative that history remembers. So his story was never recorded in history. So Lalami was reading a book about the Spanish conquest and she came across a single line that mentioned a black Moroccan who was also a survivor and essentially the first black explorer of America. So while the Narvaez expedition and Kaviza Diwaka are well known, there is nothing about this Muslim survivor who was also part of that expedition. You know, so you have the you have the Narvaez expedition, and you have the three Spanish survivors, and they give they give their version of the events. But the black uh, survivor is basically muted in history, and that's that's the reason Lelami decided to write a novel from his perspective. So she turned this lack of documentation of his story into what she imagined, you know, what would have happened, and this historical fiction novel out of that. 
Uh, essentially, yes, because first of all, her primary source was Kaviza Divaka's book. So that gave her the details of what actually happened on the expedition, you know, the the nugget of gold that they found on the beach in Florida. So that actually happened. And that small piece of gold led them to believe that there was gold in Florida and, you know, there was an abundance of that metal. So these factual details are there in the original accounts. What Lalami, what Lalami has done is create this character who was silenced and sort of flesh out his story and, you know, look at where he was coming from and the the part that he played in the expedition and how, you know, as a Muslim coming to America in that expedition, he was actually at the very center of the events that were unfolding rather than being on the periphery. Well, that that is really interesting, and it does make for a very riveting narrative in his story and uh, just the breadth of perspective that he adds to the story of the expedition is just uh, it's brilliantly done. Yes, and you know, the, the, the thing that stood out to me is this actually made me th- really think about what it means to write historical fiction. You know, so historical fiction is not merely storytelling in a historical setting. It is an opportunity to fill the gaps that exist in history books, to unmute the voices that were silenced. Uh, it is an opportunity to make sure someone other than the victor or the person in power tells the story. So when Lalami writes about the Narvaez expedition, it is to create a more inclusive narrative that is not written as an agenda for occupation and colonization. It simply tries to tell what happens from the minority perspective. Yeah, and I felt like she did that really well. And it was also, you had these elements of like the explorer type novel where they're going in into the, you know, unknown land, etc. Because it has this added perspective of uh, Mustafa and, you know, his perspective as being a you know, black Muslim man in a this type of expedition, he's able to add a lot of layers uh, of depth and insight. And I know that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about in the next episode, so I won't give any spoilers for that, but um, there's so much to talk about with this book. Definitely. This is, I'm so looking forward to talking about it in the next episode. There's so much to unpack. Uh, and that was The Moore's Account by Dela Lalami, published by Pantheon in the U.S. And we'll be back with more books by Muslim women authors after a word from our sponsor. And this episode's sponsor is us, our reading women's store. But we put a lot of thought into what kind of merchandise we wanted to have for our podcast. And so we have bookmarks with quotes from some of our favorite authors. We also have Reading Women Award kits. So you can put your own Reading Women seal on books that have won the Reading Women Award. We also have enamel logo pins, which was my number one request. But we also (laughs) have blind book dates. And these blind book dates are very exciting because you send us three of your favorite recent reads and or your good reads, and we find a perfect book date just for you. And we recently restocked our selection of hardback blind book dates, and we are really excited about some of the titles we have on our shelf right now. Some of these are new releases. Some of them are books that have been released like last year or the year before, but they're all like really exceptional books and it's a great way where if you're participating in the reading women challenge this year we can help you pick a book for that or if you're just trying to reclaim half the bookshelf and read more books by or about women this is also a great resource for that so we are giving you 15 percent off our hardback blind book dates so use the code april 15 
no spaces, to get 15% off. So you can just follow the link in our show notes to get to our store or go to readingwomenpodcast.com and there will be a link in the menu bar that you can click on there as well. And now back to our podcast. So Kendra, what is the second book that you've selected for us? So I picked a YA contemporary, and that is A Very Large Expansive Sea by Tahra Mafi. And this is, it's sort of based on her own experience as a teenager, and then she took that experience and turned it into a novel. So much of it is inspired by the th- very real things that she experienced. And it's set at right after 9-11, and you have uh, Shireen, and she's in uh, this she moves a lot, so she's in this new high school, and so and she wears a hijab to school. And so her parents are very concerned uh, because it is after 9-11, so there's discussion of whether or not she should wear her hijab and what that means for her. But she is very adamant that she is going to stay in, and still wear it because that is what she believes that she should do, and that is part of her identity. Um, but this is also part love story. So she meets a guy named Ocean, and it starts this really awkward encounter of them being like lab partners and kind of spirals into the full novel from there. And one of the reasons that I wanted to pick this book for our discussion, because you were talking to me about wanting to see more experiences of um, Muslim teenage girls, and that this was one of the ones that you had seen. And so I thought it might be good for a discussion. Yes, I definitely, definitely think that we need more books about younger Muslims. And I think YA is is a genre that needs Muslim representation, especially because the harsh reality of Islamophobia that Muslim teenagers in the West are experiencing is something that, you know, more people need to be aware about. It's not something that's just uh, an experience that adults are having, you know, really young children are going through this. So while this may not be the first book that I read that features Islamophobia, it will be the first time many Western teenagers will be reading about Islamophobia. So I think that's one of the things if you're a young adult, then, you know, you have those questions, especially if you don't come from a Muslim background. And so being able to see that representation is good, both for people being able to see themselves in this book, if they are you know, a Muslim girl, but also if they're not, they're able to see that experience and kind of step into someone else's shoes. Right. And I felt that this book really did that because Shireen really struggles with her anger at her situation and the helplessness that she feels about all of, you know, she has slurs yelled at her from cars. Regular injections of poison. That's what Mafi writes about it. These are regular yes. injections of poison that she's facing. Yeah. Yes. And she has, like, these really horrible girls that, like, sneak into the bathroom and take a picture of her without, you know, her headscarf on. And, like, mm-hmm. yeah, it sounds so innocent, but the invasion of privacy there is just so visceral. And, like, you can feel it on the page. And then they go and share that photo with all of these other, you know, random people. That's one of the great things about this book is that Mafi was able to capture that experience and be able to portray that to you, what it lo- felt like to be a Muslim girl right after 9-11. Mm-hmm, definitely. Definitely. And it's very nuanced as well, because, uh, you know, the, the whole act of taking a picture of her without her headscarf is to take away that sense of power that she feels or that, you know, sense of control that she feels for wearing it in the first place. And I also feel that, you know, there are a lot of questions uh, that 
teenagers might have about the headscarf and Ocean as a character, you know, his awkwardness at not knowing why she, why she is the way she is or how, her cultural identity. You know, he has all of these questions and he is sort of that bridge, you know, that Western readers would have. Like he helps them, like his awkwardness helps them understand this culture and this religion that they might not know anything about. Ocean just represented all of the awkward questions that Moffy must have gotten, like, growing yes. up. And, like, he is all of the, the clueless dudes out there. Yeah, like, I've definitely, like, I've always lived in a Muslim setup, so I've never really come across that line of questioning. So it was really funny for me to read, uh, you know, Ocean's Struggle. It was really, really funny. <laughs> And so there's a lot in this book, and also we have a lot to discuss about the type of representation in this book, but we were going to save that for next episode, because there's a lot to talk about here, and we don't want to get into that right now or give any spoilers. So that is A Very Large Expanse of Sea by Tahrir Mafi, and that is out from Harper Teen. And now it's time for our guest spot. So this month's guest is Amina Ravat, and she is going to be talking about her two picks. So without further ado, here is Amina. Um, I am Amina Ravat. Um, I have an Instagram account called The Club of Books, um, which is basically a place where I share my passion for reading and for books alike. I'm really excited about having a Ramadan theme on this podcast um, because I feel it's a really great opportunity to actually sit down, reflect on your books, and rather than reading any other genres that you may typically pick up, for example, thrillers or nonfiction, you've actually got the opportunity to sit down and think about the books. So the two that I've chosen are perfect, I feel, to fit into that theme of contemplation, thinking outside the box, having a look at the other side of the coin, etc. So hopefully they should fit in fine. The first book that I've chosen today um, is All That I Want to Forget, um, which is by an author called Buthena or Essa. Um, this is her latest novel, which is actually a translated read, and it's translated by a lady called Michelle Hengem. It's a coming-of-age story about a woman who loves and writes poetry, as well as the oppression that she lives under in Kuwait. I chose this book in particular for the theme of the Ramadan reads um, because I may be a Muslim, but I feel like I don't know a lot about oppression, especially in the Middle East. It's more or less what I've learned as I've grown up and what I've kind of been led to believe. Um, but this book actually showed me another side of the whole story. Um, and this is one of the key reasons why I picked picked it up. It's also a translated read, which is brilliant in terms of the language really makes sense. It's understandable. And it's a really great story about the perpetual narrative that the female is always the one that's oppressed, but it actually shows the authentic side as well. I chose this book in terms of the themes that it presents for me. I really connected to her being a Muslim lady that loves the written word. Her writing is really personal and really deep. And the way it's been translated, it almost reads like a memoir. It's so beautifully done. Also, you have the theme of kindness running through this book. So our protagonist, who is Fatima, she basically moves in to live with her older brother after her parents die and he is the oppressor in inverted commas if you like and it really made me think about the fact that does it mean that if you're 
in control and um, not allowing that person to leave the house, does that mean that you're being kind because you're not, for example, beating them up and drinking to excess? And it also just really related to the whole thing overall, the fact that she talks about her marriage. She's got a really good level of insight. Um, she really controls her narrative. She looks at what it be, what it is to be a woman, especially in that part of the world. Um, so I, find it, I found it brilliant for all of those reasons. I feel like if you're a reader um, that likes memoirs, that enjoys nonfiction, um, that is a person that likes being um, told a story, but also with poetic lines flowing through, I actually have the book with me now, and it's got a lot of poetry embedded in it. It has email conversations that Fatima has with her lover in the book. So if you like this kind of disruption in the narrative, but it connects all together, then I think you would really enjoy this. It's got a clear plot. It flows all the way through, but it's got different types of prose in the book. So as long as you're open to that, I think you would really enjoy it. The book title is All That I Want to Forget by Bosena O. Essa, it's available in the UK on Amazon, um, but you should be able to get it in America um, on Book Depository. The second book that I've chosen is The Runaways by best-selling author Fatima Bhutto. This is her new novel, which was published on the 7th of March in the UK. This book um, is about young people that go to fight in the war in Syria. She follows three individual young people um, as they go on their journey to do this and talks about it in this book. The, the book begins with the reader meeting a young girl called Anita Rose. She lives in Karachi in Pakistan, comes from a poor family who basically live in a slum um, and has a mother who's paid to massage the rich for a living. Alongside Anita's character, you meet a young son called Sonny, who's basically um, living in the UK in Portsmouth, but his um, father moved here from Pakistan, so he's an immigrant. And the final character we meet is Monty, who's the son of wealthy and extremely unhappy parents who basically divide their time between Karachi and London. And the book follows each of their journeys up until they meet in the desert. What drew me to this book in particular is the fact that um, I was able to do a little bit of research beforehand about the author, and I was really excited when I came to know of her novel. She is basically, her aunt was um, the Benazir Bhutto, um, who was a prime minister of Pakistan, and her grandfather as well was another prime minister, and both of them died in quite violent circumstances. Um, so her history was extremely um, it, it, interesting to me um, before I picked the book up. Um, and I felt just like by reading the blurb, she's asking quite important questions of society today. Whichever news outlet or magazine or newspaper you pick up, all of them have an article more or less about these young people that go to fight in the war. And I was really interested to see what her book would say about that and what her perspective on that the narrative was. I think that this is an important book for people to read because me, myself, as a Br British Muslim, I felt quite nervous about reading a book that's written not only by a Muslim author, but also with content that, you know, is so prevalent in the media at the moment and has quite divided opinion. Well, what she shows in this novel is that the radicalization, and I don't like that term, but I'll use it in inverted commas because it's what we all relate to, um, is not an overnight process. And it really links so many parts of their lives to the present day society. 
at the same time, there's a strong sense of loss and identity in the book. And I think it takes a lot of courage to actually write a book like this and to be challenged in the way that she has in some of her interviews. So I feel like it's an extremely important book to read. It's very perceptive writing. And I think it will make you understand, I hope, how claustrophobic young people can feel. And when they do go out to fight in this war, they don't actually know what they're doing 100%. They're guided by some other feelings or some other relationships. And they get there and they may realize it's a little bit too late. The kind of reader that I would recommend The Runaways to would be absolutely everyone. I feel like it's open to the kind of person that wants to learn more about this part of the world, about why young people do what they do. She's also an author with a female voice. So I think if people enjoy that, that would be really beneficial. And also it's quite a cultural book in the sense that it transports you through to different countries. So if you enjoyed those kind of books, we go from Pakistan to the UK, we end up in the desert, then this would be your kind of read it's also really prevalent in the media now so if you enjoy linking your books to the present day world this one would really work for you the only thing i will say it can be a bit not gory but a little bit messy when we get you know monty talking about his klashnikov and how he feels about that and stuff but aside from that um we have Sunny that talks about that as well and he talks about his relevant to social media and how he keeps putting pictures up of his gun because he's trying to be someone who he really isn't so if you like all of these themes and enjoy having a plot from beginning to end as well as an amazing twist which will leave you jaw dropped then this will be your kind of book the title is The Runaways by Fatima Bhutto it's available in the UK now and it's available in the US on Book Depository Thank you so much, Amina, for sharing these books with us. And you can find Amina on Instagram at the Club of Books, and we will include all of her contact info in the show notes, so you can go check that out. So, Kendra, what are you currently reading? Well, I am currently reading A Woman is No Man by Itaf Room, and I met her at an event here in South Carolina, and I feel like I am the last reading woman contributor to read this book because <laughs> everyone else in the group has pretty much. And so um, anyway, it got book signed, very excited for it. Uh, and so I'm currently reading it and we will have a Q&A with Ataf later this month. So that will go up. So definitely keep an eye out. Um, I will, uh, it'll be over on our social media when it goes up. So definitely keep an eye out for that. But Samaya, I think you've, you've already finished it, correct? Yes, I've read it and really, really loved it. Definitely. I, I wrote a lengthy review on it that I can't wait to share, but this was definitely a book that I felt added a lot of nuance to the discussion of uh, domestic violence and abuse. And so it comes obviously highly recommended. Uh, so Samaya, what are you currently reading? So I'm currently reading Black is the Body by Emily Bernard. It's a collection of essays and a memoir. Bernard basically writes about being a black woman in a predominantly white space. She is a professor at university who teaches African-American literature. So there's some really interesting interaction that she, uh, you know, includes in her book between her and her students. That was one of Autumn's most anticipated books for the first half of 2019. So it sounds amazing. Yeah, like I, I am so interested. Actually, you know what? 
one of the reasons I decided to read this now is because, you know, now that I have access to audiobooks, I wanted to see what the experience of listening to a collection of essays was um, on audiobook. So it's actually really great so far. And I'm loving the writing style. As someone who is an outsider to American social politics, especially race politics, I feel like I'm learning a lot. But at the same time, I'm interested to see how she explores the issue of, you know, being a mother um, who's adopted children. That really does sound amazing. I just feel like my TBR is growing. <laughs> so many great books. So many. <laughs> it's like full circle. We, we said the same things at the start of the episode. <laughs> yes. So that's our show. If you haven't yet, please leave us a review in your podcast app of choice. And thanks to all of you who have already done that. Many thanks to our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible. A special thank you to our patron of the day, Kirstie McDougall. We appreciate your support. To subscribe to our newsletter or to learn more about becoming one of our patrons, visit us at readingwomenpodcast.com. Join us next time where we will be talking about The Moore's Account by Leila Lalami and A Very Large Expanse of Sea by Tahira Mafi. In the meantime, you can find Reading Women on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. You can find Kendra at Katie Winchester and me at Sumaya.books. Thanks for listening to Reading Women. Reading Women.